Nature's Archive Podcast, a Jumpstart Nature production. Social media often gets a bad rap, but there are corners of these platforms that create community through fun, supportive, and inspiring content. And today's topic is all of that and more. My guests are Rhett Barker and Curtis Sarkin of the incredibly popular Wild Green Memes for Ecological Fiends. If you don't know Wild Green Memes, it's a Facebook group with over 465,000 members, and it's quite possibly the most enjoyable place I've found on social media. Before I go further, yes, today's episode is a little bit different than my typical episodes, but you're still going to learn some fascinating ecology. You'll hear about spiders that keep frogs as pets, a tree that has exploding seed pods, lungless salamanders, and an amazing nomadic stellar sea eagle, among others. In case you're wondering what a meme is, well, it's a virally transmitted image embellished with text, usually usually sharing pointed commentary or humor. So with that out of the way, today, Rhett and Curtis discuss how Wild Green Memes came to be and the clever ways that they've managed the group, facilitating its insanely rapid growth while maintaining the group's culture. You'll hear how they turned a trend of wildlife gang memes, and gang is in quotes there, into a basis for successful nonprofit fundraising. And of course, we talk about the funniest memes and meme trends that they've seen. As Curtis says, we're only scratching the surface of the potential of memes. You can find Wild Green Memes for Ecological Fiends on Facebook, and they also have a presence on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, as well as a podcast called Wild Green Streams. Of course, I have links to everything that we talk about, including those in the show notes. So without further delay, Rhett Barker and Curtis Sarkin. All right, Rhett and Curtis, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having us. So this is a little different than a lot of my episodes where I'm usually talking to biologists or ecologists. And I guess both of you fit that characterization as well, but really we're going to be talking about wild green memes for ecological fiends and that amazing group that's come into my radar over the last couple of years. So I'm really excited to figure out how you did it and how you bring so much joy to so many people in this time where social media is sort of a double-edged sword. So before we get into that, how about we just talk a little bit about both of you? So, Rhett, let's start with you. Can you tell me a bit how you got into nature in the first place? I grew up into nature. I don't have a lightning bolt moment or like a spark bird moment, I think birders say. I just was raised with um, parents who were very outdoorsy and grew up on Croc Hunter and Jeff Corwin documentaries on the TV every night and went through high school. I made a lot of YouTube videos in high school for little mini nature documentaries. And that kind of led me in a way to major in wildlife ecology in undergrad. And then I just got done with grad school for wildlife film. So it's just been a pretty certain path for me from the beginning. So a marriage of uh, of creation and ecology. Sounds like a oh, good absolutely. fit. Yeah. And Curtis? I live in coastal New England from longer than I can remember, just exploring tide pools and salt marshes and rocky shores and all sorts of beach habitats and just getting my hands muddy and shoes filled with sand, looking for crabs and fish and eels and lobsters, horseshoe crabs, all this cool stuff, and also live in the range of a lot of vernal pool amphibians. So I got involved with different clubs and nonprofits and different internship programs and volunteer work on whale watches, on monitoring amphibian migrations, and just fell in love with nature. And from 
longer than I can remember, like my passions have been reptiles and amphibians and marine life and not a local thing, but just prehistoric life has always fascinated me. It's all igneous rock here, unfortunately. But yeah, I can't pinpoint it. I think a lot of nature people are kind of the same of just like, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> but it scratches that itch for novelty because there's always more to learn and more to find out. And it sounds like that's the path you've been on as far back as you can remember. One of the things I like most about nature, like you're saying, is that the closer you look at it, or no matter where you go, there's always something that you've never even considered before. You'll just automatically, almost immediately see something new. We'll get into this later, but I think the main appeal of our Facebook community is that it's not a group about frogs. It's not a group about plants. It's not a group about dinosaurs. It's a group about ecology. So the potential for humor and memes and topics is as diverse as biodiversity itself. And then throw in some abiotic geology and cosmology and fun stuff like that as well. So I feel like that really is part of why the groups work so well is it's the topics are literally limitless. If you were to make a meme about every organism, this group would last billions of years. So let's just jump right in then to the group. When I checked a couple of days ago, I saw that the group had 440,000 members, which is just mind-blowing in a number of different ways. One, just for how focused the group is, yet it, there's such a huge audience out there for this sort of content. And maybe, uh, I guess this is for Rhett. Can you tell me a bit about the origin story and the name? <laughs> Why this name? I went to undergrad at uh, the University of Florida, and I did their wildlife ecology major. And that's significant to the story because that's where I made my major friend group, which is what the group started with. We just wanted a meme page for ourselves, essentially, to share little goofy memes we were making about wildlife or ecology or school or fieldwork or whatever we happened to be doing at the time. It grew from there just organically, essentially. Like it For a while, it was in an odd way, like a parallel to how I think it must have been when Facebook started, because we would go through waves of new members. We'd be like, oh, look, Cornell just came in and oh, there's Texas A&M. And we'd go to the different universities that had wildlife departments. And then it started branching out to the same phenomenon, but in France or the same thing, but in some town in Australia that had a university like Darwin. And then we'd watch the cities you know, creep up in, in population within the group that way. Lately, I think we've surpassed that now. We're essentially just the general public that we're reaching now or, or the public that's interested in nature. So should I expect but, a, a Hollywood documentary or, or a movie like the social media, but specific to wild green memes? There's logs of Kate's us in a good light. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't think the social I, network made, uh, made Zuck look that good. I think it's fine as long as my character and every other character in the film is played by a frog. Yeah, I think you're safe in being painted in a good light. So I interrupted you. Go ahead with your train of thought. So anyway, after about a year, there were around a thousand people in the group, which I thought was an insane number of people, honestly, much surpassing the 40 or so friends and acquaintances I added to it to begin with. And it was in 2018 there was a trend across the whole internet of moth memes. Like people just for a minute, every picture on the internet was no longer cats like it was in the early meme culture 10 years ago. It was all moths. And we decided to pull a prank on the members of the group. The way the group works is that people submit memes to the group and then we can accept or reject them based on whether or not they fit the theme and the rules of the group. And we just temporarily for about a week, stopped accepting any meme that didn't have a moth in it. 
and waited for people to notice. And people started noticing and, and they thought that was really funny. And we never said anything about it. We just let people make conspiracy theories. This must be something they're doing. And eventually it hit this fever pitch and this, it made like this feedback cycle where people started submitting lots of new things that were moth memes they were making in response to the trend. And we started playing into it in ways that were indirect. I started talking in all caps whenever I left a comment and I started implying that I had been taken over by a bunch of moths. And at the crescendo of it, I switched the cover photo for the group to a lamp um, because moths like lamps. And then as far as it could with just a few thousand people, the group lost its mind at that. And then the next day, what we did is we said, okay, so what do we do now so that this doesn't become a permanent moth group? Like, how do we end on a high here and not just get tired of moths? So we said there was a temporary overpopulation of moths and we were going to use natural pest control by introducing bats into the, the meme ecosystem. So we started accepting memes about bats and memes about other insectivorous animals. And that's how we took care of the moth. I think the funniest thing was once we started letting in memes other than moths, one of the mods changed the cover photo from a lamp to a lamp that had been turned off. <laughs> so, so it's just, no, we're not attracting in the moths anymore. And then there was a whole debate over like, why are bats getting all the attention when spiders eat, are, are important in controlling uh, moths? And it got wacky, but yeah, we really owe it to moths in terms of just like, okay, this is, that was that light bulb moment. Yeah, I went there. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah, this has potential to be bigger than a silly little group of jokes only people with backgrounds and the stuff get. So that was the first meme trend per se that the group had, and it kickstarted the growth. We never really stopped growing at a pretty fast rate after that. And we went from about 1,000 people in the group to about 5,000 within a week. And then by the end of the year, we had over 10,000 and it's continued from there. Yeah, I missed out on the moth meme craze. I mean, I was aware of it, but I wasn't part of your group at that stage. And of course, where my mind just went was you need some parasitoid memes there, like you really get dark. Oh, that would have been a great idea. Yeah. So that trajectory, I guess you doubled and then doubled, or actually more than doubled and then doubled again by the end of 2018. What have you seen as important for sustaining that growth over the last couple of years? Hey, nature enthusiast, do you want to be part of something bigger? Well, we're building a movement at Jumpstart Nature, and we've just added some new volunteers to help with our podcast and website. But this means our costs are going up too. I need to purchase software licenses to give them access to the production tools we use. For example, one media editing license costs $21 a month. And this is where you come in. Please consider supporting our mission by contributing to Jumpstart Nature through our Patreon or direct contributions, or even purchasing some logo merch. Check out all these options at jumpstartnature.com slash donate, also linked in the show notes. Not ready to make a financial contribution? Then please share this episode with three friends. Sharing what we do is actually one of the very best ways you can help us. Thank you all for your continued support. So we're less concerned with the actual number of members and more with the quality of the community, which I think perversely actually increases the growth in some ways because more people want to be part of it and less people leave the group. But our goal 
is just to be a good version of the group, whatever size it happens to be. So we've actually throttled growth as it's gone on. I've seen groups that had similar trends and, and behaved in similar ways to us, and they accepted every member that came through. And in, in, in a month, they were up to a million members or more. And we've really, we have set numbers of people that we let in per period of time usually. And we vary it up and down depending on how difficult the group has been to moderate recently. Cause we found that the growth rate rather than the population is what determines how it is to moderate and like how much trouble we have in it that we have to, how many fires we have to put out. All that said, I think that within that, it's just that sustained growth comes from having a good thing and having something that people want to participate in. Facebook's algorithm seems to favor primarily engagement above all else. And of course, that can lead to issues with bad actors or without content moderation across the site. But if you have people who are tracking everything going on in a group and they're putting out fires and trying to make sure that everyone's friendly with one another and and everyone feels safe, then this kind of silliness emerges just on its own. I think it's a thing that people just do and they just enjoy being silly. And that also can take off with the algorithm because people leave a lot of comments and make a lot of reacts and then post memes and related to each other and and keep coming back to it. It's a wholesome means of using the algorithm to get more attention. That makes sense. There's a couple interesting things that I know I'm going to take away if I find myself in a similar position managing a group. And I like the idea of throttling the growth because that gives people a chance to adjust to the culture of the group and understand what's going on in the group before jumping in and maybe steering it in a different direction. That seems really instructive. You know, the other thing I see is that because you have such an active community and then I think layered with moderation, you you mentioned before, things are always evolving and kind of pulling in some current events and then just evolving on their own sort of natural little courses as well. Do, Do you see that really just happening organically in the community? Or do you sometimes instigate some of these things behind the scenes? I always say I don't make meme trends. I encourage them. I will, if something already seems like it has the potential, like I remember this expression from back when memes were going from the weird bad side of the internet to the mainstream of just like, you can't force a meme. And that's so true. You have to have like several independent parties who don't know each other all clinging to like, okay, this is good. This is funny. This has the potential for remix and virality for whatever reason. Yeah, I will definitely fan the flames of I want this meme to thrive because it's funny and has potential. But I, it doesn't work if I'm just like, hey, I really think we need more memes about paramecium. I'm going to make 10 memes about paramecium because people are like, where'd this, where'd this come from? It's just one person. If it's just one person repeatedly posting the same concept, it's not going to catch on once. Like, like I said, you kind of need this zeitgeist, this hive mind in order for, for this, this perfect storm. Yeah. I'll say that I found it completely impossible from the start in point anyway, to predict which meme will set off a trend. Like a lot of the time, a meme that I don't even particularly like, that sounds bad, but I'll approve it and I'll be like, okay, this one, few people will like this. And then I'll get on the group a few hours later and every meme will be that (laughs) related to that thing. So it's very hard to predict what will actually take off from starting points. It's easier to figure out what kind of conditions it takes to start a trend. We'll allow reposts into the group and posts of memes from other places, but we found that there's an ideal balance to it 
and where we're not inhibiting people from sharing things, but also basically if we have a smaller number of reshared things and we really focus on making sure that new content that people make gets through, we found that really generates meme trends a lot more quickly. And then the other principle of it is that nothing is too niche and that the right people will see it. So if there's a joke and it's a funny joke, uh, but it uses information that very few people know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't take off or that everyone won't know that information tomorrow because the people who get it will feel like almost proportionally like they're in on the joke and they'll go crazy over it and enjoy it. And then everyone else comes up to speed more or less pretty quickly. And then we all, we're all in on the joke together. And there's also this kind of trend of not being in on the joke, being a, a joke in and of itself and just the confusing nature of the group or like the rapid fire evolution of these trends being like, it's sort of like a meme unto itself. People always are, are poking fun at themselves for having no idea what's going on if they've left the group for a few days or even a few hours and suddenly everybody's talking about Stellar Sea Eagles or, or toucans or gars or whatever. Dolphins are olives, like yeah. some b- bizarre statements that have never been said before in human history. Yeah. So I think the being in on the joke and not being in on the joke have become like equally funny and equally part of the group culture. I think one of the really interesting things, if I had more educational background in sociology, I would love to do a deep dive study of the group because what you just touched on there is so interesting because you've somehow created this culture in the group where somebody can say something so esoteric and that triggers people to go out and learn and figure out what is this term? What does this thing mean? And, and next thing you have 440,000 people or whatever your active engagement number is learning this new concept that, that they didn't know before, all because of a meme. And uh, there's probably other observations that both of you have had. What other sort of strange or interesting group dynamics have you noticed in, in this environment? People like to share the fact that they learned something new. It's almost I don't know, coming home from school and being like, mom, today I learned that a tadpole turns into a frog, only it's like, hey, was anybody going to tell me that beavers have cloacas or was I just supposed to learn that from a science learner article myself? Because it's just like, there are so many formats that just lend themselves. Like that one, for example, is a comedian, Chris Fleming. And he has a line from one of his specials where he's just, was anybody going to tell me that walruses suck the skin off of seals? Or was I just supposed to learn that from National Geographic myself? Which in and of itself is a fantastic wild green meme. Like it doesn't even need to be edited. But then before you know it, everybody's just like, was anybody going to tell me that shrews fertilize pitcher plants with their feces? Or was I just going to learn that from a meme group myself? So people like to share that they learn something weird and new in hopes of others learning it as well. So again, suddenly you're taking these big concepts and condensing it into two sentences. And Rhett and I and the mods are fact-checking all this before we approve and learning some really cool stuff ourselves and dispelling myths in the process. There's a meme example from the fact-checking anyway that blew my mind. Sometimes I'll see something that has a fact embedded in it. And I'll think there is no way on this planet that fact is true. 
and then I'll go look it up and it is. For example, there's a tree in South America that's called the dynamite tree because it has seed pods that explode. Mature pods look a little like pumpkins and as a dispersal strategy, they pop with a bang and can send their seeds flying at 160 miles per hour, sometimes landing over 100 feet from the tree. And there was a meme about that and I saw it and I almost turned it down because I oh, just I turned it, it down several up, times. Like it was so absurd. <laughs> what? I said I turned it down several times because I thought there's no way this is real. <laughs> yeah. And then I think Curtis or someone else on the team looked it up and it was real. And I, it just made my day because it was just something I never would have conceived could be real. And I learned something new about it. The other one that I just couldn't believe was true was that and it's a, it's three very different areas of the world in Peru, India, and Sri Lanka. There are large spiders, tarantulas in Peru, and I'm not sure what spider groups they are in, in Asia, that keep small frogs in their dens as like, a, I, I believe, a means of pest control to keep pests from bothering the tarantulas. And in return, the tarantulas don't eat the frogs. So they, it's basically spider giant spiders keeping tiny frogs as pets. And I got this meme so many times and I'm like, that cannot be true. That has to just be a picture and somebody edited it in a wacky caption and no, it's real. The photos of it look wild. They're just, yeah. it just looks completely fake. I, and, you know, there could be a whole theme of animals farming other animals, I think. like that, And that would be one of the mo most outlandish ones. Like an ants and aphids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ants and beetles do all kinds of farming. It's, it's almost surprises me when they don't at this point. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to ask you about some of the craziest things that, that you've learned from the memes. And, and let me jump to the current event. You Somebody here mentioned the stellar sea eagle a few minutes ago. So there's been this stellar sea eagle roaming the continent, lost, roaming North America, I should say, just to be specific, seemingly lost. And it's triggered a lot of news stories and, of course, some memes as well. And I'm curious, have you... What have you learned about the Stellar Sea Eagle from moderating this group? I learned that it's spelled Stellar as in a guy's name with E-R and not Stellar. Like it's awesome. And I had to <laughs> realize I made that typo in like all of the memes I made about it. I think he's a Stellar Eagle anyway. He's a Stellar, Stellar Sea Eagle. Yeah. Yeah, that was an easy spelling for me. Out here in California, we have a J called the Stellar's J, and then there's a yeah. Stellar Sea Lion and, and a bunch of things named after Stellar. Stellar out Sea there. Cow. Yeah. The giant, giant extinct manatee type thing. Right. Rest in peace. Yeah. I learned about their range. I learned about their size. I learned about their diet. I, I learned about their call. I... Don't think I even knew that the species existed before a week ago. Yeah, in the process of making quite a few memes about this bird, I learned quite a bit. And being a, a New Englander, it was honestly the second time I've had a New England-focused meme trend, the other being the, uh, the cranberry bogs in Cape Cod. So that was fun. I'm sure Rhett can relate with the iguanas dropping from the trees in Florida and anything alligator-related. <laughs> oh, yeah. I live in Florida, so we get a range of things. Florida's like little Australia as far as wildlife's concerned. So we get a, a wide array of references that come from here. And, and before before we move on, I wanted to ask Curtis, have you had a chance to actually go and see this bird? No, it's not quite in my area. It, it was earlier, but it's hours and hours away at this point. And then for, uh, for Rhett, so being from Florida, 
Were there any meme trends or memes specifically about Florida that were a surprise to you or triggered some learning? It started out almost hyper-specific to Florida because it was all people who were going to UF. And we had a lot of memes that were very niche within the idea of like our classes. So memes about, I don't know, how often you burn longleaf pine forests and things like that. So it it originated (laughs) with Florida wildlife memes to be even more niche than it already is, but it's just branched out from there. So I I was wondering... You talked about this moth phase, and I know there have been a number of, of crazes, and one one that I think right when I joined, there was an ant phase, and I joined sort of midstream, and it seemed like the ants were taking over the group. Can you tell me? I never really heard the story. What was happening there? There's this group on Facebook called a group where we all pretend to be ants in an ant colony, and they're independent of us. They're just their own thing, but they grew up on their own early in the pandemic, I think as a hobby for people who were stuck inside mostly or who were maybe stuck in their yards. And they, it's a really funny group. It's, I'm a big fan. They basically, it's exactly what its name says. It's a group where there's all these people, uh, 1.8 million people now apparently. And they all pretend that they're ants and they all type in all caps and they'll post things like sisters, I have found food. And then they all type lift in all caps. The mod team, the founder, I think refers to themselves as the queen and, and everyone's like all hail the queen. And they have this prank that they pull across Facebook that they did for a while where they would go into other groups and they would say they were invading and they were taking over. And then For a little while, all of the comments in this other group would just be nothing but all caps, single exclamation words as if the ants were speaking. And they would be like, attack, lift, retreat, and everything like that. And that that was a Facebook-wide trend that we participated in because it's fun. Did they invade you or did did you say, hey, come on over here for a bit? They invaded us and I posted some about it as well. Like we we participated in the invasion. (laughs) I think it got to the point where like, when you're in a group of a million people, like naturally there's going to be a few thousand in every like major meme group as well. So like they were, the the ants were coming from inside the group. So I don't know how much was an, an invasion and how much of it was like they were already in both groups and just sort of like, I post a picture of a, a meme about an anteater and they instinctively all go bite, sting, attack. Yeah, it's like I said, you need to somehow find some sociologist to come in and just study this because I think there are lessons that will reverberate across society that are <laughs> coming from these groups. So you, you've talked about a few of a few memes that you've learned and then some of these interesting phases that have happened. Are there any other like favorite or funniest memes that really spring to mind when you think back over the last few years? Yeah, one of mine's my favorites and this could potentially be a segue into talking about the nonprofit, but I just loved this meme because it was so niche and like an animal that's near and dear to my heart too. There was this trend that predated, I don't know if it predates wild green memes, but it didn't originate in wild green memes of, of gangs and this idea of making fun of different like niche topics by jokingly insulting another group. Imagine having to cut your paper in a straight line. This post brought to you by a curvy scissors gang. Or just like these really funny topics that weren't ecological in the originally. I think they might have even been history memes in their infancy. But somebody made one that 
I loved because it was again like like the Chris Fleming, the comedian I referenced with the Walrus and the National Geographic. It was able to get across this really cool fact in such simple terms, where they posted a picture of a redback salamander. It's of the genus is Plethodon. They're a small, completely terrestrial salamander, so they don't have any aquatic stage. Their eggs are laid on the land, and they go through the complete metamorphosis in the egg. So rather than a tadpole-like larva, the salamander that emerges from the egg comes out as an, an adult. I'm not sure if they have gills during the larval stage in the egg, but as an adult, they have no lungs whatsoever. Their skin functions as their respiratory organ entirely. All amphibians breathe through their skin to uh, some extent, in addition to uh, gills or lungs, but uh, the salamander has no lungs at all. And uh, somebody made a meme of the plethodon salamander, which is one I'd grown up catching since I was a kid before I even knew like the binomial or anything. And it was just said, imagine needing lungs to breathe. This meme brought to you by plethodon gang. That's freaking hilarious. It's so niche. It's so, such a weird thing to like insult humans or other species over. Look at this guy with even lungs. While at the same time, bringing up a really cool fact that there are ver terrestrial vertebrates that exist without lungs. So that, I think that's my all-time favorite wild green meme, just because it's, it was so bizarre and while still getting across this really cool fact and being down to a specific genus of uh, a very widespread North American salamander. I don't know. That one just tickled my funny bone. I think now in the future, every time I learn an interesting fact about an animal, I'm going to spend a few moments thinking about how I can reverse engineer that into a meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Rhett, how about for you? The gang memes are pretty good. I, I have a lot of individual memes I like a lot. I really like Okay, so per member, I think this was our most successful meme ever in the group. I don't know if it actually originated here or not, but there is this meme format and it it's a Lord of the Rings meme and it's two panels and originally, and it'll have Gandalf saying something and you insert what you want. And then it has the next frame in the movie, which is of Frodo saying, all right, then keep your secrets. And then, so that's been shortened so that it'll be some text at the top saying whatever the joke is. And then the joke is that you don't understand what the first sentence was. So I'm trying to think of a good example of that before I go to the next level up, which is what this meme was. I, I remember a good one. It was, uh, what does a leaf bug look like? And it's just photos of really well camouflaged leaf bugs. And it was like the joke being that like the googling what does a leaf bug look like doesn't help you because it just you can't really see the animal in a lot of these pictures and right. then you had frodo saying all right then keep your secrets <laughs> so that's the meme format but there's a lot of the time these things will kind it's kind of like you know how cotton candy is made where things get swirled around themselves over and over again so the swirls are made of more swirls so that's this happening with this meme where there's that already convoluted to explain, but visually pretty simple meme of the all right, then keep your secrets format. Then there's this new meme, which they made, which is like a pun on top of that. And they have, it says, when you find out that most life in the ocean is undiscovered, and then it has a picture of Frodo, except now he's on a coral reef and he has a snorkel and a mask on. And it says, and I have to spell this out for it to make sense. It's a very visual joke, which is a bad choice for a podcast. But it said, all right, then keep your C crits, like S-E-A and then space C-R-I-T-S. 
So it's a pun on top of the original format reference. I thought that was hilarious. I sent that to like everyone I knew. And apparently a lot of other people thought that too, because at the time we had about 30,000 members and it got about 30,000 shares. So almost everyone in the group shared this meme. And that's, that is unheard of. I've literally never seen that. Like if 400, if everyone in the group now shared something, it would just be like everyone on earth has seen this thing. Like that's the level of virality this meme had. But so I guess if I had to pick one, that might be my all-time favorite. And then there's another one that's internet wide, but it's frogging camp cranberries must be fall. Completely inexplicable. It's just a picture. It's based on a picture that someone took and they captioned it of a frog in a cranberry bog and they captioned it frogging cranberries must be fall. And a bunch of people just reposted that or variations of the picture with repeating that sentence. I have no idea why it went viral or what that's the whole joke. That's it's just a, an odd phrasing of something, but that thing was really funny as well. And that that also went pretty viral. Seems to come back. I think every fall, there's a a theme, a variation on that theme. It's the only annual meme. Yeah. If you want something you make to come back over and over again, forever hitch it to a season. A lot of people have tried that with other seasons and it doesn't work. It'll be like something and something must be spring and it flops. Mm. The only one that sort of took off was uh, at the same time as the, the cranberry bogs are floated and the frogs are going into them. In the Southern Hemisphere, in Australia, it's becoming spring and the magpies have their like super territorial swooping season. So like those two all always coincide. So the magpies never caught on quite as much as the frogs. I think the internet and just memes in general, even if it's not eco theme, just freaking love frogs, just lend themselves to meme and internet culture in ways that like no other organism will ever come close. Maybe cats, but not in our group at least. So yeah, frog and cranberries must be fall. And the, the lack of any meaning, just the absurdity of that caption on its own without any context is what made it funny. It's just, what's the joke here? It's That's the joke. There is no joke. There's no deeper meaning. Yeah, but it does sound like there's some fertile ground for some merging of the Australian magpie and the frogs into some common meme. I don't know what that would be, but it seems like there's something there anyway. So you did mention the nonprofit. And before we get there, I, I just had a couple more questions about the group. And for those that haven't been there before, that aren't a member of that group, I'm, I'm going to guess a lot of my audience probably already is. But you know, what should they expect? You mentioned that you're metering the the pace at which new members are added. So how long will it take to, to get into the group? And then what's the weekly cadence look like? Because I know you have a few special days like non-meme Sunday and so forth. When you go to enter a group on Facebook, there are questions you can answer that act as a a Turing test and I'm not a jerk test. If you answer all of those questions, you'll get in very quickly right now. If you don't answer them, you might not get in at all because that's the way that we throttle it is we or that we regulate the growth rate is that we select for people who will answer those questions. And I think that also increases the odds that people will actually be engaged with the group. And Facebook restructured groups now where anyone can join. You're in the group right away and you can can like and react to any of the content. But in order to comment or post, you need to be approved as a participant. So if anyone wants to join the group, you can join in a second and you're in like that. But if you want to be an active uh, member, you need to pass our little riddles three which are very qu- difficult questions. What's your favorite natural place that you've been to? Or or explain one of our rules to us so we know you understand. 
here I am again, just thinking about how interesting it's probably just to see what the favorite natural places are. There's, there's probably lots of interesting answers to the questions. And I started a little, little tiny group called Backyard Wildlife at the start of the pandemic, just as a place where people who were stuck at home could go share what they're finding in their own backyards. In retrospect, I should have asked more interesting questions for group admissions because then I could have learned <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, we had absurd questions at the early on, and then we had to make them a little more serious at times to make sure people were actually reading the rules. But like one of the earlier questions was simply birds, question mark, <laughs> and snake or snack. And we got some really funny responses out of those. But even like, what's the, what's your favorite natural place you visit? We've, we'll get some funny ones. Earth is always a, a popular one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can't argue with that. <laughs> Unless uh, unless Buzz, Buzz Aldrin joins the chat, in which case he's welcome to say the moon, I guess. But a lot of people have said the moon, and I'm like, I and I I don't believe you. I can't disprove you're not a uh, Buzz Aldrin with an alt account as some like twenty year old in in Detroit or something. But I'm fairly certain you have not been there. There are just a handful of people who have been there left, so I I imagine some of them aren't real at least. And then to the sort of weekly cadence. I mentioned the the non-meme Sunday and something I've gotten a lot of value from is the the social media mega thread, which I so many interesting people out there contribute to that that I found when they link to their Twitters or their Instagrams or wherever they may be. So I've found that really valuable as well. Do you have other special days, special events throughout either the week, the month or the year? Yeah, we started shutting down submissions on Saturdays just to give our mod team, there are, say, maybe five to eight active mods, including a retina. And it was a lot of work to just keep the group running nonstop. So Saturday became uh, a day where we closed submissions. People can still comment and interact, but that was also a time for us to focus on stuff like that our group is doing, like releasing a podcast episode on Saturdays or posting some stuff from our, our TikTok feed, which another mod runs in pretty much entirely, or posting updates about our nonprofit, or um, announcing uh, uh, new products. And as far as, like you said, with the mega threads, we see them as a two-way street, where at the same time, we are promoting our social media channels, TikTok and Instagram outside of Facebook, and allowing people to plug theirs and discover us at the same time, people who don't necessarily know that we're more than Facebook. And another thing we do on Saturday is a merchandise mega thread because we, we never wanted the group to feel spammy, either from us or from other artists or uh, designers or all that. So limiting merchandise and sales to a weekly spot, which allows people to see our stuff that we sell through our Patreon and storefront that we're working on for summer or so, and uh, also allowing this huge community of artists and designers and people to promote really cool projects that they're working on. The function of the mega threads is really twofold. One, it's to, like Curtis was saying, it's to prevent the group from being overwhelmed by one particular kind of content, especially self-promotional content, while letting people share their cool projects. Because I would love to, to just have that be uh, unrestricted. It's just that it, it's hard to balance on its own. But the second function of it is that I think that the mega threads actually boost how much people's projects and craft things they're selling and Instagrams and everything. I think it actually makes them get seen more 
because it gives people one centralized place to go look for them, especially when they're already interested in finding new people or finding a new design on Etsy or what have you. It's almost like a mini group within the group that happens every few weeks or every week, depending on which mega thread it is. Yeah, it feels like a stroke of genius to me to set it up that way. The combination of the moderation, but then giving people that outlet to to share and discover is so simple, yet seems to be so effective. A lot of the ideas in how we run the group are born out of spending too much time on Reddit and seeing what works and what doesn't in subreddits and in that platform. A lot of it translates very cleanly over to Facebook. Interesting observation. And you mentioned that then just to moderate the group, much less some of the other work that goes on five to eight people. And I noticed that I suspect to, to help with that operation, you created a Patreon that um, is also creative. I guess that's a, a theme here. So can you tell me a bit about how the Patreon works? So we have all kinds of projects and they take a lot of time and sometimes resources on our part. The group is the biggest project just because of the sheer number of people in it. And it's gotten to a point where it basically is a part-time job for each of us to run the group and to run all these, the Instagram, the TikTok, the, even the Patreon itself has get little gift rewards and silly postcards we send out. So in order to allow us to do that, basically, we had to figure out some kind of way to pay people for their work. And Patreon is a really cool platform. It's one of my favorite things on the internet because it's an, it's an alternative to advertising that doesn't restrict content. So basically the old model, there are two old models for how you would distribute and fund like a media company. And one of those is you'd sell a bunch of ads and put them all in it, or you'd sell like classifieds in the newspaper, for example. That's still how Facebook works. That's um, the model that newspapers have been struggling to find a, an alternative to, essentially. The other model that used to happen a lot was subscriptions. And I know a lot of media companies did both and have done both, some version of these. So subscriptions is where, obviously, you have to pay to access the content. I, I feel like both of those kind of betray the promise of the internet in their own little way. I like the openness and I like the scale of the internet and that everyone can be experiencing something together for the first time and they can be sharing things that can come to be seen by everyone. I think that's a really cool thing. And I think we're in a really neat moment of history for that. And certainly a meme group wouldn't work if it was too restricted by subscriptions. So I would hate to see that become the primary or the only model that a lot of creative people use. On the other hand, I think that there are a lot of problems that everyone's always talking about with the ad model that are coming up and are just blatantly obvious across social media now between having to maximize for engagement and issues of just how many people you have to reach before an ad becomes valuable. It, it keeps going on from there. So Patreon is cool because it's an optional subscription. So everyone can access it if they want. But if people like what you're making, a lot of the time they'll go subscribe to you to help support you to make more of it or to expand the projects you're doing or just to tell you you're doing a good job, they'll throw you like a dollar a month. And with enough people, that turns into enough to support creators doing all kinds of things. So we have a Patreon that helps us make all of our different series on TikTok and we're coming to YouTube soon. And, and primarily right now helps us run the group and also lets us throw a little bit of money to a conservation causes we care about directly from what we're getting. Yeah, it's... I just started experimenting with Patreon myself. So I, we were chatting a little bit before recording about how I'm in the midst of transitioning my career. So I decided, you know, I'm paying a little bit of money for this podcast each week. I'd like to at least pay for it. So I set up a Patreon in, in December. And so far, you know, I, I haven't really pushed it. 
but I've been happy with how it works and the utility of it. And yeah, with a little creativity, like with the type of creativity that, that you and Curtis and your team have, I, I can see that being a really valuable way to help you continue to grow. Our model is we, none, none of the content will ever be Patreon exclusive, but you might be able to, to see some of it early. So with our own podcasts, which we're in the, the process of revamping for the summer and with our YouTube projects, you'll be able to see those first as a Patreon subscriber before they go public. And then the other main rewards are gifts in the mail. So depending on which uh, tier you choose, you'll either get one or two different uh, stickers or magnets. We're working on iron-on patches down the line. I know that's been something people have been asking for quite some time. So we're excited to roll those out late spring or so. But uh, yeah, so just a, a fun little gift for uh, an exchange for people supporting us. And we try to keep them trendy. We have a uh, Stellar Sea Eagle sticker for this month's reward and try to keep them something that is thematically relevant. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is I, I was looking at your Patreon in the last few days and I saw that Stellar Sea Eagle. So uh, you refresh. It's not just a logo sticker every month. Yeah, it's fun to have uh, as many outlets as we can find. Curtis usually does the designs for every month, and those are basically just memes, but in real life. And a lot of the time, Curtis writes some of these too, but a lot of the time I'll write the postcards and usually pick some kind of literary reference like the metamorphosis and then turn it into a meme, a wild green meme. One time I did, I took the metamorphosis and I made it into a story about someone turning into a crab and then they were cool with it. They're just like, wow, I really like being a crab and things like that. So we had a snail translator on the latest one and it's just, it's, it says, it explains what it is. And then the translation is like, I like, and then it cuts off. It's great. So we've briefly mentioned, alluded to, and talked a bit about the fact that you have a nonprofit. So you've been able to turn this big community into a, an even more impactful realm. So can, can you tell me about what the nonprofit is and what you're focusing on with it? Like all our projects, the nonprofit is one more thing that's grown and evolved over time with the group. It started out pretty early on. It was just after Moth Memes. There's a nature preserve near Gainesville that had run on hard times, not through any faults of their own. And they were just having a temporary budget crisis and didn't need that much money, but like it really needed to fill a gap. So I came up with this fundraiser idea to get the group to raise money to fill in that gap. And what we did is we took the gang memes that Curtis was talking about and wildlife people have a lot of rivalries, um, especially the more similar you are to another group of wildlife people, the more the stronger the rivalry, it seems like. Herpers, so reptile and amphibian enthusiasts, have a strong rivalry with birders. They like to make fun of each other for liking you know, their respective group and usually in a lighthearted way. But so I, I came up with the idea of taking those rivalries and having everyone join gangs like herp gang or bird gang or plant gang or whatever organism group you can think of. And we would have a battle and see who could donate the most money to this nature preserve. And we would donate in the name of that gang. So they'd be like, they donate $5 in herp gang's name or donate $10. It was called leafy boys back then, but like plant gangs, a name. And the gang that raises the most money wins. There's really 
not that much more to it than that. They don't like win anything special, but anyone who donates over a certain amount gets a sticker of their gang that they can, you know, put on their water bottle. And people really like that. And they would make a lot of memes to promote their gang. And what that means is that, of course, because there's a lot of activity going on there, Facebook shows it to a lot of people. So it's the only artificial meme trend that I've ever seen to be reliably worthwhile. And I think it's because people just like the spirit of it and they know what they're doing. They really like participating in this every year. So for the first few years, we raised money for that nonprofit. But as the group grew, we realized that we could start raising money for multiple nonprofits and we could start supporting multiple causes with the charity battle. As a device to do that, we started our own. It's called Wild Green Future. And every year now, the charity battle, we send, we partner with a bunch of other charities. This year we had three. Um, last year we had two. And we'll raise money for basically whatever they need. If they need staff, if they need uh, a new boat was something that someone asked us for this year, if they need money to fund like a Brazil nut tree germination program or a muscle introduction program, whatever it is, we'll build that into our goals and raise money for them through this charity. Yeah, that's and it just ended, I think, for this year. So it typically runs what, like November, December? Yeah, it varies a little bit based on our availability because... It's a very intense experience from the moderating side to run, especially with having to... So people create gangs throughout the battle and we have to keep making new stickers for them, which takes time and launching them. So we plan it based around when we're free and it's always either in October, November or December. We're actually... We did it for two weeks the last few years. We're actually going to do it for just one hectic week this year, I think. And I don't expect that to actually hurt the fundraiser at all, but it'll keep the hype up for the entire time. If anything, it might, might increase the funding because people get tired of trends. <laughs> but even if it's for an amazing cause, it, it basically memes have a shelf life of three to five days. It's a lot of fun to observe, at least from my opinion, because like with all the gang memes you were talking about, you see that same dynamic sort of sprout up in all these different ways. I didn't look before this recording to see how many different gangs you had as part of this fundraiser this year. It, it would have had to have been at least 20 or 18. 18. Okay. 18. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we had to limit it this time because I think we had 110 gangs last year and ended up being uh, slightly chaotic as far as the sticker design and sticker mailing front. So last year, because of the pandemic, I had to mail all the stickers basically on my own. And we had 21,000 stickers worth of donations from that year. So personally, I mailed about 21,000 stickers across all the people who donated. And that, that took a lot of work. So we, part of it was that when you have a lot of gangs, a lot of them only sold a couple stickers or a lot, a lot of people only donated for that gang a few times. And that would, in a weird way, it would like exponentially increase the, the difficulty of mailing them because like the combinations would, be, would take mm -hmm. a long time to do. So we lowered the total number of gangs this year. Yet still doubled our charity income? More than doubled. Yeah, more than doubled it. We raised about, it was in the 70,000 range in 2020's charity battle. And it was it was well over $160,000 this time. That's amazing. Yeah, our first year didn't even come to two grand, but we were incredibly pleased at the time. That was uh, before we were an official nonprofit, just uh, raising directly for the Tortoise Preserve in Florida. But that was our first of four fundraisers. So we're extremely excited to put this money towards some amazing causes and 
to see what we're capable of in years to come. Before we wrap up today, do you have any other projects or anything else, any other online presences that you want to promote or point people at? Oh, I'd like to plug the podcast. So we have a podcast called Wild Green Streams for Ecological Fiends. I think if you type in Wild Green Streams into your podcast app, it'll probably come up. And on that podcast, Curtis, me, and several other of the mods, basically we hang out with an interesting person, whether they're uh, an, like a webcomic artist or a scientist or some kind of online creator or conservationist. And we talk about wildlife and we talk about what they do and sometimes we share funny things it's just it's a pretty chill 30 minutes we all learn something new in one way or another and hope you you will as well cool yeah i'll i'll keep an eye out for when you said that you're gonna relaunch that this summer so it's online now you can go listen to it but we're gonna start releasing episodes again uh, a few months from now we're we're pre-recording a bunch of them right now i'll be sure to to cross promote as best i can when those new episodes start to come out Awesome. We, we call it uh, we call it cross pollination. Yeah, yeah, that's better. A- anything else you'd like to say then before we uh, close it out for today? Thanks for having us on. This was cool. Always uh, fun to talk about our work, and glad you uh, chose non traditional guests because it's cool to see people treating online communities and internet pop culture as these uh, important things and not just jokes. The jokes are great. Don't get me wrong, but the potential of memes is just. I feel like we're just scratching the surface right now and it's people are still trying to find that sweet spot between being advertising and spammy with it and in ways that are backfiring like brand Twitter to some extent and then just organically going with the flow of what uh, what people actually want to get out of memes in ways that are making uh, cool impacts. I think on that note that humor is a door if you're trying to communicate something to people, especially in wildlife. I think a lot of And this is said lovingly, I think a lot of wildlife and conservation media is a little bit preachy and a little bit doom and gloom. And I think that has this effective to an extent. It's gotten us this far, but it's not enough. Uh, And we need to try a lot of other strategies to reach more people and to effectively conserve our natural resources and become sustainable on this planet. And I think that having uh, lighthearted and silly conversations and making things and participating in a community as you go is one of the best ways I can think of to do that. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I love the topic. I love what you're doing. It's a little corner of the internet that's safe and fun to go to. And you walk away with a new appreciation for ecology, for wildlife. And this is also the space that I'm really focusing on as well, like trying to find new ways, better ways to connect with people and get people to care about some of these things. So awesome work. And I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you're both incredibly busy. Thanks again. Thanks for having us on, Michael. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for sticking through the entire episode. If you made it this far, I hope that it means that you enjoyed it. If so, please spread the word and share this episode with three friends or groups that you think would enjoy it too. As for today's episode, let me know. Did I miss anything? Was there a topic I should have covered? Let me know at podcast at jumpstartnature.com or DM me on any of my social accounts. I'll do my best to answer your questions. You can find me at Nature's Archive, one word, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I also share photography, nature stories, and much more on those accounts, so you can follow just to stay in touch too. And despite being called crazy by numerous friends and colleagues, last year I left my tech career behind to start Jumpstart Nature, which Nature's Archive is now part of. 
For the sake of myself, my family, and the planet, I need to make this work. So please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash jumpstartnature. I offer some exclusive content and perks, and you can start donations as low as $4 a month. Lastly, please also check out our latest creation. It's the Jumpstart Nature podcast. We just completed our pilot season, where each episode reveals an unseen, surprising, or misunderstood nature topic with the help of experts and our host, Griff Griffith. It's entertaining and inspiring, and even reached number three on the Apple Nature podcast charts. There's much more on our roadmap, but we need your support. So check out jumpstartnature.com for more details. Thank you. Thank you.